Blog Talk Radio. And good evening. My name is Ryan Miner, and this is another episode of A Minor Detail. Thanks again for joining me, and we have a jam-packed show this evening. Uh, beginning at about 9.15, we'll have James Coyle, the secretary of the Hagerstown Tea Party, to talk about the CNO Canal fees. And we're going to be talking about, um, with Cindy Rose, an education activist, a, a Oh, excuse me, a good friend uh, about park testing and Common Core, but um, we're going to start off with the budget, um, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. But first, did y'all watch the Super Bowl? Did you? It's a pretty good game. Um, I didn't have a stake in this fight. I didn't really have a dog or a pony in the show because I'm a Steelers fan, and you know we have a little bit of a rough season. Um, I don't know. Maybe we need a new coach. I don't know. I, I kind of feel bad for the Steelers. You know, then after the season began, it was like Dick LeBeau is gone. So it's, I don't know. It's been a tough season. But nonetheless, I, I kind of flipped the coin, and then I realized that the, the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks is a fellow brother of Sigma Alpha Epsilon, uh, I'm a alumnist. I'm a proud brother of SA. So uh, here's a big shout out to all my friends uh, from SA. So yeah, I said I'm going to support the Seahawks. I mean, I look, we beat them back a couple of Super Bowls ago, and you know, but nonetheless, yeah, head coach SAE, and they lost. I kind of watched it for the commercials. They were kind of weird, weren't they? I don't know. I. I I was watching a lot of dad commercials, the Dove. Um, there were a few good ones. I like the Dodge Centurion. Um, I really like the Brady Bunch. That was funny. Uh, um, Doritos. I don't know if they played this on TV or not, but they had a Doritos commercial where <laughs> the guy, the guy sitting on the airplane, and he does everything possible to ensure that someone does not sit next to him. But overall, you know, it was um, a, tacti- a tactically smart and well-played game. It was it was not uninteresting like it was last year when the Denver Broncos just got completely shut out in, you know, the first quarter, and then the game was over. And it's like, let's just watch through the, the commercials. I'm here so I won't get fined. 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 I'm just here. Marshawn Lewis is quite possibly the greatest PR person in the entire NFL. I'm just here so I won't get fined. I should say that to every show. I'm just here so I don't get fined. Um... So a few other things before we get directly to the budget. Um, a little bit of Washington County news. The state of the, the state of the county was yesterday at Fountainhead Country Club. I was able to make uh, the latter half, or excuse me, the the former half of the meeting, um, and uh, I had I sat. I didn't actually eat breakfast because I am a black coffee drinker. So. Uh, a lot of people turned out, as always, and I, unfortunately, I was unable to make the, 
the state of the actual state of the county address. However, I did attend with my company, and I want to give a plug. So to the number one heating and air conditioning in the company in the tri-state area, Cumberland Valley Heating and Air Conditioning. Please, for your residential or commercial heating and air conditioning needs, call us today, 301-739-3830. A shameless plug for the best locally owned tri-state heating and air conditioning company. We did attend. It was interesting from all reports, and I'll talk a little bit about that next week. Um, One of the issues that sort of had people talking last week was a comment made by Board of Education member uh, Michael Gesford. And apparently Mr. Gesford talked about school security and suggested that perhaps we should look at refining school security uh, based upon an incident that he personally witnessed where someone had gotten up to speak at a Board of Education meeting, and he felt that they were, and I quote, irate. Uh, That's what he said. Uh, He didn't really give dis. I don't know, he didn't give details, but he said someone is irate and that he thought for a moment that he might have to restrain them. So he suggested during a January 20th uh, board meeting that (laughs) maybe they should check into security protocols, which I think is a good idea, but uh, I don't know. Maybe he'd be willing to clarify his intentions or his motivations because, look, I've gotten up before and spoke before the Board of Education a passionate issue, and right before, and directly before I got up to speak, there was a man that had gotten up to speak, and you know he was kind of an interesting character to say the least. And he walked up to the board afterwards, so I, I don't know what to believe, but I, I really hope Mr. Gasford was making this suggestion in good faith and authority, and it wasn't for any, I don't know, <laughs> to satisfy a, a vendetta, but you never can tell. So another big issue that's on the docket for the Board of Education is their legislative agenda uh, regarding uh, the superintendent's contract where they're going to attempt to legislatively fix uh, to be able to renegotiate a contract before the superintendent's contract expires, which I think is a good bill. I wrote about it. Um, some of the board members are not in, or one board member in particular is not in favor, uh, Mrs. Harshman, which is no surprise because uh, Mrs. Harshman takes her cues directly from the Teachers Association in Washington County. Um, and I, and I, you know what, and, and I'll say this because I'm blunt and rather candid. Um, I wonder how much of their closed session, the board's closed session, which they're sworn to privacy and and committed to ensure that those conversations are not leaving the room. I wonder how much of those board conversations leave and go back to the Teachers Association in Washington County. I guarantee you that it happened. I can't prove it, but I have a gut feeling, and my intuition is usually correct. Um, so what else do we have on the docket? So anyway, you know, they're looking... They're looking to pass this legislation. My understanding is that some people are trying to kill the legislation. They're going into Annapolis and defying, you know, I've I've heard from a few different sources um, in Annapolis that they're trying to kill the bill, which is irresponsible because if they try to kill the bill, then it looks 
like they're trying to overtly discredit the process. It's wrong. They shouldn't do it. Uh, so it always seemed I, – I, I predicted that this little slate would form, but who knows what's going to happen. Um, delegate vacancy. Andrew Serafini was appointed as a state senator by Governor Hogan earlier this week, which is great news for Washington County, which leaves open the District 2A vacancy. So the applications will soon be rolling in. And if you live in District 2A and you are a Republican, then please, and if you feel you're qualified to be uh, the next state delegate, then submit your name. We won't go into the process, but that's going to be an interesting story of how that all unfolds. Um, And... Another big issue that we're talking about is the governor's budget. And I, I have to tell you that I am really impressed by his budget because he has been left with a complete and epic financial disaster from Martin O'Malley, the former governor. Governor Hogan, when he got elected, ran on fiscal issues to halt the spending and Get our books in balance. Governor Hogan's a businessman. He understands basic financial principles that our governor, our previous governor, seemingly did not understand. We have a businessman in office and a respectable one at that. And I can tell you that his budget reflects his experience in the private sector. Folks, we cannot spend more money than what we take in. That's just basic math. Basic fundamental math and the reaction from Democrats about his cuts, and we're talking about basic cuts to make up a shortfall. You know, and I would, you know, I, I I'm not going to, I, I, down the road, I would seriously look into mandatory spending that's in inside of the budget and seriously consider capping those spending formulas as he's doing. And further reduce mandatory spending. You know, we have a $16 billion budget. And there's only so much money coming in. And we can only spend so much money. Or we'll have to raise taxes to make it up. And that's not going to happen in a Hogan administration. The, The amount of taxes and fees and regulations imposed upon Marylanders in the last eight years, it's been horrendous. It's been tough. It's been tough on small business owners. I can... You know, I, I my stepfather owns a small business that I work for. I know the struggles. They're palpable. They're tangible struggles that people feel. This is real life, folks. And, you know, one of the biggest organizations, special interest groups, who are hardcore campaigning against Governor Hogan is the Teachers Association, namely the Maryland State Education Association, MSEA. And... Here they are with Democratic legislators going out and saying that Governor Hogan is doing this record-cutting spending, and it's just preposterous. Get to the facts. Governor Hogan is spending more on education in his new budget than any other governor. It's an increase of 0.7%. 
And what they're trying to do, what the what the association does, this this teachers association, they do so well, is attempt to paint a picture that Governor Hogan is heartless, and what they do is use children as their backdrop and as their pretext, and basically say, look, oh, he's going to hurt our children. He's going to hurt the kids. The Teachers Association do not care about kids. They only do it when they start, you know, and that's my opinion. They only care when it's convenient. And what Governor Hogan is doing is halting spending, and he's slowing the rate of increases so that the projected spending will decline. Oh, they're saying money is, that, that, that cutting money is not fair for our kids. That is a lie, folks. That is the overreaction of Democrats. And it's like, what do you think that we feel for the last eight years as Republicans, as conservatives or libertarians living in a state of Maryland as Martin O'Malley, as our, the person that's in charge of our finances and has a mega, mega responsibility over the budget? So Governor Hogan has set aside $200 million dollars. $290 million for school construction. He's spending $6.1 billion on education. He's going to cap the growth of the education aid formula to 1%. You know, elections have consequences, and this is one of the consequences. And, you know, we talked about, we talk about from Governor O'Malley, oftentimes we hear that you know, every oh, you know, the stadium was supposed to help the lottery and the casinos that were supposed to go into an education trust fund. What the hell happened to that? Where's the money? You know, and Democrats, all I hear, all I hear is whining and complaining. And that's what I hear. This is what it's been for the last two years. Last Just take this in, internalize it. This is what Democrats are doing. And the, and the Teachers Association, they're going to continue this duplicitous ad campaign, this PR campaign, and it's a disaster. And what do we expect? That's exactly what we expect, to use the convenience of kids at the right time. Good on Governor Hogan for making responsible cuts across-the-board cuts, fundamentally reducing the size and scope of Maryland's government and getting government the hell out of our pocketbooks, our wallets, and for me as a libertarian, the heck out of our bedrooms. No reasonable person can imagine that Governor Hogan is specifically targeting education, but it's like the Democrats have a bone and they're running this false ad campaign against the governor, and they're using kids as a means to their end. And I think it's despicable, and I'm going to continue to call it out. I'm going to call out our Teachers Association. I'm going to call out Washington County Teachers Association because you know that in the next few weeks you're going to see probably uh, this this heartstring tug, you know, oh, Governor Hogan's doing this, blah. You know what? Stop. You don't fool me. You're not fooling us. It's nonsense. And start telling the truth. We are in a fiscal crisis, and this man is the adult in the room, and he has to fix it.
Joining us now is James Coyle from the Hagerstown Tea Party. James, are you there? Yes, Ryan, I'm here. Hey, thanks for joining us tonight, James. Uh, we're going to sure, talk a little pleasure. bit about... Yes, thanks so much. Uh, James, can you just give us a, just a quick background about yourself and what you do for the Hagerstown Tea Party? Uh, yes, uh, I'm the uh, secretary of the Hagerstown Tea Party, and as part of that, uh, you know, I'm responsible for uh, record-keeping of the proceedings of all of our meetings and maintaining our membership lists. But in addition to that, I'm the chair of the Hagerstown Tea Party's uh, uh, voter education uh, committee, and that includes doing research upon uh, various uh, legislation which is uh, forthcoming and uh, bringing an alert to folks on legislation that I think they should be aware of that's uh, taking place. Absolutely. Um, so you're a conservative guy. You've been you, you've got involved in the Tea Party, obviously, because, like myself, I believe that government has grown out of control at the federal level, at the state level, and the last eight years under Martin O'Malley has been uh, full of so many fiscal improprieties. It has bloated the size of government, and it's, you know, people are hurting, real people. And, you know, I look at something that they're trying to propose now at the federal level. We're talking about fees at the CNO Canal. And yes. now there was a meeting held last week. Did you attend that meeting? I did not attend that meeting, but I know that uh, our commissioners, uh, Baker and Weivel, attended that meeting. And it was right. was really uh, at their urging is why uh, we at the Tea Party, you know, took an interest in this and alerted our membership list about commenting upon this proposal. Right. Uh, so I'm just going to read to you from the Herald Mail article. Uh, Terry Baker said that I assure you that it will be on our agenda next week, which it was. Um, and so. Baker also said the fees, uh, the talk of the count, has been the talk of the county since being introduced. Um, and uh, so let's see. Brant said that he asked all 131 parks charging the entry fees to um, to the schedule to take a look at this. And you know he said that he reiterated that the reasons for the fees that um, you know apparently this the CNO Canal is not taking in as much money as they should be. And some people will argue that this is a good thing. However, I don't think this is a bad thing. You're asking hardworking middle-class families in Washington County to pay a fee for something that we already pay for. What say you, James? Well, there's another aspect to this proposal which uh, hasn't been considered. The, the number of employees that would be required in order to collect these fees at the various points along the CNO Canal. Now, I'm very familiar with the federal budget process, and it's it's not an exaggeration to say that the salary and benefits cost for each person that they hire, you know, what they call a full-time equivalent, you know, that would be one full-time employee, it's uh, in the vicinity of over $100,000 per year. And so you're taught for each employee at each point or multiple employees at certain points, you're talking about uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars in expenditures. So any fees that they hope to collect would be more than offset with the salaries and benefit expenses right. with employees needed. 
So it says, I'm reading from the newspaper, uh, the article in the Herald Mail, and it says the proposal calls for an annual pass is collecting $30 or a $5 seven-day vehicle pass for Canal West of Seneca Creek, while a seven-day-per-person pass would be $3. And the fees would also raise in the year 2017. And then it follows with the park now collects about $300,000 a year in fees. So my question is, what are they doing with the money that they're collecting? Have they thought about doing a public-private partnership? Or I know that you can advertise on the canal. In fact, I have a friend who operates a local diner uh, restaurant in Williamsport, uh, the Desert Rose Cafe. I know that Mm -hmm. her sign is on the CNO Canal. Wouldn't you think that increased fees uh, for our community in Washington County, the com- the canal towns, wouldn't that actually hurt business? Well, I mean, there are a number of businesses that uh, derive revenue from people who use the canal. A lot of them are the hikers and bikers or people who just go down to the canal to boat or just to fish for a day. And, uh, you know, to include a fee to, that would consider, like, it would be low cost or or free access to the Potomac River. People, you know, if they realize that they're going to take their family down there, they're going to have less money that they could possibly use to support these businesses. And again, you mentioned the figure of $300,000 collected in fees. Uh, I cite again my figure of $100,000 or more per employee. And so they'd only cover the cost of three employees, which would be woefully inadequate if they were truly serious about their proposal. So where is that additional funding going to come from? Yeah, exactly. Where is the additional funds going to come from? And my concern is, look, we, we, you know, the federal government always seems to find another way to implement a new fee and a new tax on us. And isn't it part of what the Tea Party does um, is to stand up and say, okay, look, all right, let's look at the finances of Let's look at the finances of our of our budget. And what I what I do like about the Tea Party is that they a lot of the times the members have a keen understanding of federal budget process. And you know, let's face it, not a lot of people find that to be interesting material, um, you, you know, reading. And what the Tea Party does so well is at times they extrapolate an issue and break down the finances. And has the Hagerstown Tea Party? Have they taken an official stance, or will there be any activism on be- from the Hagerstown Tea Party in an attempt to stop these fees from happening? Well, as of right now, all we're doing is we're urging individuals to file comments to the Park Service uh, through their website. Now, whether we're going to take that a step further, that remains to be determined. But I would right. imagine um, that a number of people are going to have uh, negative comments during the comment period. Surprisingly enough, John Delaney, our congressman for Maryland's 6th Congressional District, is going to be sending a letter uh, to the CNO Canal, I believe, in opposition to the fees. And that was surprising to me. Um, Do you think that this shows a little bit of bipartisanship on behalf of Congressman Delaney? Well, I think Congressman Delaney is looking out for the interests of his constituents because even down in Montgomery County at present, there are parts of the CNO Canal that you can access without a fee. Yeah. And I know a number of residents down there enjoy going down to the canal and to the Potomac River. Now, 
if people had to all of a sudden consider paying a fee, that's going to factor into their decisions as to whether or not they're going to uh, patronize the canal. Yeah, yeah, so, but I am happy. So it's, so it's an issue that touches the the constituents in Montgomery County, which, in my opinion, you know, those are his primary constituents. Uh, he could care less about Western Maryland, but the fact that uh, we have a similar interest with the folks in Montgomery County, I think that uh, is what's guiding uh, Congressman Delaney's uh, action. Yeah, um, you know, it, it is good to see occasionally a Democrat showing a little... <laughs> And bipartisanship, but you know, I think Congressman Delaney, he ran on bipartisanship. He's running on you know an infrastructure plan. So I'm glad that he is dissecting what his constituents are relaying to him and doing the right thing. Um, you know, I of course it would always be nice to have a Republican in that seat, but um, we have a lot of work to do. So James, I want to ask you, um, there is a delegate vacancy in District 2A, and I know that you are very actively involved in the political process, and you have some background and information, or you you really understand the process. So moving forward, as the Washington County Republican Central Committee uh, decides uh, who to pick, and as they gather the different uh, nomination forms and packets from the different candidates who are to will apply, what, how do you think the process should be, and are you satisfied with the process uh, in which they picked, uh, in which they filled the Senate seat? Well, right now, you know, the process of filling a vacancy is pretty much up to the central committee of the party uh, of the person who vacated the seat, and uh, you know, it's pretty much their latitude. Now, of course, members of the Central Committee are elected, but uh, I think, as you recall from the last election, uh, they, no one was opposed. So, so essentially, you know, it's it's it, it's really their call. But I'd like to mention something that's interesting. In, in this year's session of the Maryland General Assembly, there's been a bill introduced into the Senate that would uh, pr- allow for a special election in the event of a vacancy in the General Assembly. That's Senate Bill 166. I find it interesting, though, that... actually pushed by a Republican and uh, a Democrat, two freshman uh, legislators, um, and I think right now they're in the research phase because, look, let's face it, special elections do cost money, and I don't know if... And and that might be the hang-up because, obviously... We're not willing to I, – I don't want to shell out a ton of money, but uh, a friend of mine suggested what if they did this? What if they, the Central Committee this time appointed someone for two years, and then um, they would have a District 2A election in 2016 to elect the person to fill up the remainder of the two-year term? I don't know At if that idea – special election. Well, you know, that, right, that's, always, exactly. that's always a possibility. Uh, as, as far as the, the specific bill in, uh, that has been introduced, uh, Senate Bill 166, uh, the only Republican sponsor is uh, Michael Huff in, in Frederick County, Senator Michael Huff. All the other sponsors right. are Democrats, which I find interesting right. because now that uh, Governor Hogan is sitting in the governor's office and he can either accept or reject whoever the Central Committee sends forward, there's a little bit of concern that uh, – uh, I guess among the Democrats, that Governor Hogan is probably thinking of 
you know, even if it's a Democratic vacancy, he would hold out for the most conservative Democrat that he can get, as opposed to yeah, that's the run-of-the-mill Democrat. So I th- really that's think that's the motivation yeah. behind this bill. Um, well, I wanted to ask you, uh, based upon what you know, or you know, about certain candidates and 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 possibly applying to uh, this District 2A vacancy. Who would you like to see? What kind of person would you like to see in the seat? And what kind of person would you like for you know to represent us alongside Delegate Parrott within the delegation? Well, I think at the very minimum, it would have to be somebody who is as much a fiscal conservative as Senator Serafini was when he was in that position. I mean, uh, at very, I mean, Senators, uh, well, when he was a delegate. Uh, Mr. Serafini attended several Tea Party events, and he gave very overarching. Uh, but he but he also backed it up with some numbers, in that the current path that we're on, not only at the federal level but state level, is unsustainable. Right. And yeah. And Absolutely. of course, you know, Mr. Serafini by trade, he's a financial expert. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know what, I think it was a tough choice between the two candidates. And look, they have both represented our community well. I believe that they have the constituents' best interest at heart. And you know, I think that um, moving forward, I I know that Delegate Parrott will uh, definitely continue to be actively involved in ensuring that we bring back more jobs to Western Maryland and that we reduce the size and fundamental scope of government. And you know, one of my big issues is education. And I, as I was saying, saying earlier, that. You know, the Democrats have really come out hard against Governor Hogan in this budget because, you know, they're so used to getting always what they want. And Mm -hmm. this time it's a wake-up call. And we have an adult in the governor's mansion and someone who understands that we cannot spend more money than we're we're taking in. So it's going to be some tough choices, and, you know, that's that's what happens when someone has been in the governor's mansion – and re- <laughs> increasing the size and scope of government exponentially in the last eight years. So, James, final thought. Well, uh, I would have to say that, uh, you know, holding the line on the growth of government, I mean, uh, you know, you live in Hagerstown, Ryan, and we have Hagerstown, it's at the juncture of two major interstates, and yet. Where do we see new businesses setting up across the the state line in Pennsylvania or in West Virginia? I mean, you look at distribution centers that are established. Are they thinking about Hagerstown? No, because they know how Maryland has been a business-hostile environment. It's definitely been hit hard, and being that we're a regional type of community, we have to compete with Pennsylvania and West Virginia, and we have to compete with the quality of their workers, uh, their workforce, and with their tax and, and and fees. So, James, I appreciate your time coming on. Uh, you've been a great guest, and I certainly hope you will come back again. Okay. Thank you very much for having me on, Ryan. You bet. Take care. Excellent interview. James Coyle with Secretary of the Hagerstown Tea Party, uh, someone who has been involved in the political process, who knows his way around politics. I, I know James and his wife. They're wonderful people. They're patriots. They're they're hardworking, honest people. James is a smart guy too. If you ever have an opportunity to sit down and talk with him, definitely take that. I'm thrilled about our next guest. She's a good friend of mine. She's somebody who is on the front lines 
every single day fighting for education, for choice in education, against a burgeoning government takeover of our public schools. So I want to welcome my friend from Frederick County, Cindy Rose. Cindy, welcome to the show. Hello, Ryan. How are you? I am doing great. Thank you so much for joining us. I want to go right into this because um, I want to get as much of this. I want to I want to have you as much as I can because your story is so interesting. Your background is just remarkable. Could you give us a little bit of background into your story, who you are, and what you've been doing for, I don't know, the last, how long have you been doing this for? Well, years, if you want to consider way before Common Core, my husband and I both have been active in education. Uh, we got involved when our son, Ben, who has cerebral palsy, he goes to a special school, and he came home one day, and he goes to summer school, so it was July, came home and got off the bus, and he was rolling in sweat, and I'm like, well, why isn't the air conditioner on? And they said, well, he doesn't get air conditioning. I'm like, why not? Well, back then, your child had to prove that they needed air conditioning before Frederick County Public Schools would give them air conditioning. Now, granted, they were giving air-conditioned vehicles to administrators when they were giving them vehicles. They didn't have to prove their need for air conditioning, but they were making special needs children prove that they needed air conditioning. And that's how we got involved in education. Yeah. Um, So you and I sort of first met online, and it was an interesting story. And I've heard about you because I know that you're active in the Republican politics in Frederick County, and you do just a ton of work uh, to – advance uh, a liberty cause, a conservative cause, an education. You're you're a true and true education reformer, much like myself. And when I ran for the Washington County Board of Education, albeit unsuccessfully, I certainly learned a lot of lessons and really ingratiated myself um, very deep into the education issues and trying to look at uh, the education, the, the issues and policies from all perspective. And I first met, in fact, your husband um, first reached out to me on Facebook and said, okay, look, you have this common core thing. You're saying some things right and you're saying a whole lot wrong. And he kind of educated me. Yeah, it was great. And he was just absolutely blunt. And he really educated me. And then the more and more I studied it and learned and talked and had so many different conversations, the more I adamantly grew opposed to common core and you have been one of the frontline soldiers in stopping Common Core, but more, but more so the testing aspect of it. And I want you to talk about your story tonight, and kind of and begin to and, and tell us exactly how you began to understand and dissect Common Core yourself, and what it means for you, for your family, and for your son Ben. Well, we I stumbled upon Common Core. I had another issue with Frederick County Public Schools with my daughter who was then in the third grade and her social studies book, uh, Social Studies, uh, History Alive, Our Community and Beyond. And the book was disturbing because it promoted the nanny state and it wanted to get uh, third graders comfortable with the fact that you should be going to the government for all of your wants and needs. And it talked about having uh, universal daycare and universal health care before there was universal health care. So it was a book before its time. So in researching that particular book, I stumbled upon Common Core, and I learned that, wow, this is, um, this is interesting. This is like a private takeover of public education. 
because what most people don't know about Common Core is they aren't private. They are private standards. They aren't public standards. We don't own them. We didn't write them. Our state just adopted them to, to get the race to the top funding. So that's that's how I got introduced to Common Core. So right. And, totally you know, when, I, when I was studying how this all came about, and look, it scares me when anything – Bill Gates is a great businessman, and he has done significant work for many charities throughout the world – and he's a global philanthropist, and I probably can't even say that right, but he is someone who has done a lot of good work, and I just want to put that out there. But then again, his hand in education, in his idea to make every, to develop these set of standards, as, as so they're called, I believe that they have a much deeper impact because inevitably with standards, you have to redesign and develop curriculum around it. But Bill Gates has now has his hand into this education pot, and he is stirring it and stirring it and stirring it. And you and I have talked about this. What do you think about that? Well, I think it's nefarious. And Bill Gates has been involved in education long before Common Core. Achieve, Inc. did the um, the American Diploma Project, which Frederick County Public Schools has been involved in since early 2000s, I believe. And they we were actually doing Common Core standards before they were actually called Common Core standards. That was kind of like the the dry run or the beta testing of Common Core standards if you signed on to the American Diplomas Project. So that's why Frederick County probably had an easier time rolling the Common Core standards out because they were kind of already involved in that. But but, but Bill Gates is just, he, he's just in it for the money. Yeah, I mean, it's and a... I think that, you know, that's just a dangerous thing. You know, when you have a corporate takeover of education and you have a separate agenda there, um, that really concerns me, and you know what even more so concerns me is that our government is on board. And I know that you know the insides and outs. Arne Duncan is like BFFs with Bill Gates, and the staff at the education department were spillovers from the Gates Foundation. Am I correct? You're correct. A lot, there's, And there's so, a lot of co-mingling. Arne Duncan's roommate, I believe, was David Coleman, who wrote – the Common Core oh. helped write and roll out the Common Core standards. And I do believe they were college roommates. I think I read that somewhere along the lines. Yeah, and David Coleman is is described as the chief architect of these standards. Right. And his right. name is always mentioned in the conversation, as it should be. Um, <laughs> David Coleman is someone that had a an agenda from the outset. And I believe that agenda is reflected in the Common Core standards. Now, People tell me, Ryan, they're just a set of standards. Relax. I was told that all the time. Relax, Ryan. These these things are not bad. Uh, if you dissect them, they they're only there to for teachers to, um, a, you know, as a sort of a, a benchmark for for teachers to teach, so that every student is on the same page um, in each grade. And I said, whoa, 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 hold on a second. So you're telling me that every student has to be common, just like every other student. And look, Kim Kim and I, we have she, – she has two kids, and right. you know, me as a parent, I don't want them to be common with everybody else. Right. I mean there's a uniqueness in everyone. So talk to me about what the standards are and tell me what is – if we get down to it into the nitty-gritty of the standards, what is, where does your core opposition to these standards lie? What is, what is the driving motivation to stop these standards from being implemented? My core driving 
the thing that drives me is the fact that we don't own them and we didn't write them. People who do not live in our neighborhoods and do not go to our schools wrote these standards. They've decided what is important for us to learn. And when people minimize that and say, well, it's just the standards, we'll do the curriculum. Well, it's like an architect. You design the frame. That's the standard. And what you slap around it is the curriculum. Or you could liken it to a pie. I want you to make cherry pie. That's the standard. Cherry. You may want apple, you may want blueberry, but that's irrelevant because the only thing you get to get is cherry. How you make the cherry pie, that's up to you. You can figure that out all on your own. So which is more important? Is it more important to have the main ingredient, which is the cherry, or is it how we are going to assemble that? Well, there's not very many ways to make cherry pie. Common Core is disguised as, they say, well, it's a state-run initiative. The National Governors Association and the Council for Chief State State School Officers is involved. So apparently that just makes it a state issue. That And that's and that, an absolute fallacy. If I, I have video yeah. of David Coleman talking about how he and his group of people got together in a room and created these standards and how hard it was for him to get the governors to go along with it. I have it on video. You you cannot deny it comes from the man's own mouth. They were pulled in after the fact to get the standards into the classrooms. They want want a nationalized education system because once you get to the children and you teach one thing, that's the easiest way to control the way a population thinks. People's thoughts and and ideas are controlled and molded and, and directed by education. That's terrifying, and it really is because what – and here's the problem, one of the main problems with Common Core is that where were the teachers? Where were the teachers who inside of our classrooms each and every day, where were they involved with this process? They weren't. Yeah, I think they were as in the dark as we were until the thing was plopped down in front of them, and now they're all scrambling around. But I, the more I think about that, the more I think that was designed on purpose. It was, the chaos was purposeful because if you want to, to sell something and implement something and you also want control of the curriculum, you have to do it quickly because then they have to throw away what they want to use and they have to get your prepackaged product because they're scrambling. They don't know how to teach this. So they need you to come in and help them. A lot of our teachers are using canned, pre-planned lesson plans because they're in such a tizzy because they don't know how to teach this information. So they're, and if We're people read the top application, it says we also adopted a common core curriculum, not just You and standards. I have both. Yeah, you and I have both heard the myth that, well, teachers are totally on board with common core. The, right. the Teachers Association is on board with common core. And that's proving to be more and more untrue by the hour, almost the second. Can you speak to that? Well, I think some of the unions, well, they were paid. The NEA was paid by the Gates Foundation to promote Common Core. PTA was paid to promote Common Core. If you find somebody who likes Common Core, odds are they were paid to like Common Core. There are some teachers who do like it, and I think that's the younger ones who aren't familiar with for traditional education, and they like the idea of someone telling you, here's how you're going to teach it, it's, it's easier work for them. I don't think the veteran right. teachers like it. I, I don't know a teacher that likes it, I personally, and I know lots of teachers and lots of them talk to me. I don't know one who actually likes it. When I was running for the Board of Education, I downloaded a an app that included all the Common Core standards, and I went oh, through I each of them. Yeah, I went through, and it, it is helpful. Um, I went through the app, and I said, okay, well, 
you know, I okay, I understand this, I understand that. But then the more and more that I read about the math standards and right. the English standards, they're right. teaching math. The standards are teaching math and forcing teachers to stick to a script that is fundamentally incoherent and inconducive to learning. Have you seen right. some of this? Have you seen some of the work and, and the worksheets? I'm, and Yeah. I'm lucky in that my daughter is in seventh grade now. So she's kind of not getting what, I think it's the worst at the elementary level where they're just implementing that philosophy of making it more complex instead of, I thought Americans were all about making things easier and efficient. We're about efficiency. We're not about let's make it more difficult so that we can arrive at a problem. And that's a lot of the reason why our kids are being all stressed out because it's kind of like Turk math. I don't know if you guys had it in Washington County, but we had it here, and then we fought hard, and we finally got rid of it. And then, of course, Common Core brought it back, and then some. It, it might be a benefit of helping children understand the big picture and concepts of large numbers, but when it comes to the dissection of let's break things down in base 10 because people understand base 10. So 9 plus 6 becomes, let's, you know, break that down. We need to make it look like a base 10 pro- problem, and then they diagram it all out right. just to get 9 plus 5 or 9 minus 6. And it's very complicated. I mean, there are engineers out there going, you know, I, I, I would never want my child to learn math this way, and I can't teach my child math this way. And I also think that's purposeful. Because once you take the parent out of being able to help the child, the only place the child can go for help is the teacher. Parents now are being minimized purposefully, I do believe. And I know it sounds conspiratorial, and sometimes I hate talking about it because it sounds so conspiratorial. But parents are being pushed out of the equation so that the child will now go to the school system or government, if you will, for the help, that the help comes from outside sources, not from within the home. It's all part of that conditioning children to be comfortable with you go to the government for the answers to all of your problems. The government will yeah, take care absolutely. of you. Your parents can't help you. Well, and I'm I'm right on board. Uh, Kim and I's eight-year-old uh, Paige, she comes home, and, and Paige is not a – she is not struggling with math, but she definitely has – issues with how she develops the method to which she solves a problem. And right. she had, you know, and I said, okay, Paige, break this down. T- tell me exactly how you're going to solve, you know, this um, three-digit math problem. And they, they teach them so many different convoluted ways instead yeah. of the basic arithmetic in order to derive at the answer. They want them to understand all the different steps about how to get there instead of just finding the answer, and it is absolutely frustrating and totally immaterial to them solving a math problem. Well, I agree. It's totally inefficient, and you can't be in the grocery store wanting to know, well, the tax on this is 10% or 5% or 6% or whatever it is, having to draw out a huge diagram with all these boxes and things and get to the answer. That's And that they, mm-hmm. people knock rote memorization, but that's when rote memorization is kind of handy, when you automatically know what this times this equals this, and then you just pop up and you write down the answer. And the fact that they could get the problem wrong as long as they did the process right and still be marked correctly, and the student who gets the right answer, even though the process was wrong, will be marked incorrectly. And I totally disagree with that. Why do you care how they got to the answer as long as they got the answer and they knew why? And you know that they knew why they got the answer when they are consistently correct 
in their math problems. If each one, if every day there's 10 or 20 problems is correct, that child understands that math. We don't need to have them right. diagramming it out and needing five pieces of paper to answer one little addition problem. One of the main rallying cries that has seemed to become a universal revolving door uh, among people like you and I, people who believe in education choice, reformers, is now that Common Core is being implemented, there is this push for testing. This is where you have a refined expertise that even I couldn't even begin to detail and articulate how many different caveats are involved. Cindy, can you talk to me and talk to the audience tonight about what this means for for testing, what this means for teachers, and your own, how you have tried to combat this and your own court case that you are currently involved in and, you know, and could future and be in the future involved with. Okay, and we're talking about high-stakes testing, correct? The park, the NFA, the ultimate park test. Because most people think that the movement against testing is we're just anti-test people. And that's absolutely not true. We believe in accountability and we believe in tests. What we don't believe in are the high-stakes tests where a teacher's pay might be tied to the testing scores of the students, which I believe isn't very fair for the simple fact that students, some students don't test well who are very bright. I was, depending on math especially, I was a horrible test taker, but I was good enough at math. So that's a dangerous area. And then the, the main goal for me with the problem with the park test is they aren't designed for the student's benefit. The student will get absolutely nothing out of this. It's a diagnostic tool only. It will let Pearson, who owns the test, know that this student understands these standards. And the state and the federal government want to know how Maryland students match up to Montana students and match up to Pennsylvania students so they can cross-compare. And the students were created for our benefit so that as parents, because there were failing schools and people were concerned about that, so the federal government said, okay, you need to create some standardized tests so that we have a report card we can show the parents of your students how well you're doing. Well, to me, that's the federal government mandating the accountability I must accept in order to, to evaluate my school. I have rejected that. I'm saying, no, I do not want your park test. I am totally satisfied with the report card and the papers that I see and the performances that my children give as the measure of how well my student, my child is doing and how well their teacher's doing and how well the school is doing. No, thank you. I don't need your assessment test, the park assessment. So yeah, I'm going to go into our case that we... Yeah, please. And, you know, I know that... Yeah. Are you still there? Oh, I, yeah, I I'm still here. There. Okay. So last year, when the uh, it was still the MSA last year, which was even more ridiculous because they were learning Common Core, but they were going to be assessed with the old MSA test, which means that what they were being taught was not going to be on this test. The state knew that, and the state knew that the test was just probably going to be trashed, but they wanted to keep the kids' testing skills up. So they wanted them to take this test, and we spent 20 or $30 million to do a test that absolutely had no value. So I said, no, thank you. I'm refusing to let my daughter participate in your test. When I did this, the school principal told me, by law, Mrs. Rose, we must test your child. Your child is not allowed to refuse. And I'm like, well, no, the law doesn't say 
my child must test, the law says the test must be created, it must be administered, and it must be offered. Nowhere is there an affirmative law that says my child must take this test. So when I did that, she said, well, then you're not going to be able to, she's not going to be able to come into school unless she takes the test. I'm like, well, she's not coming to school. I'm assuming, okay, it's going to be for those three testing days. And she's like, no, it's the whole testing window because if she comes in any time during the testing window, we will test her. So that's 12 days. They wanted my child to be out of school for 12 days for refusing to take a test. Yet they complain, and I would have gotten a truancy notice in the mail, you know your daughter's missed X amount of days of school, but it's okay, they do it. So when they did that, I went and filed an emergency petition with the Circuit Court of Frederick County for injunctive relief because I believe my daughter had a right to be in school but not have to be tested. And as soon as Frederick County Public Schools got that, their copy of that injunction, Jamie Cannon called me on the phone and said, okay, Mrs. Rose, we, we recognize your right to refuse. We have to offer the test. So since we've offered it, she's not taking it. She can go back to school, and no one will offer her the test. Refusal accepted. So knowing that, I would happen again the next year because this is the way these things go, and that was going to be park this coming year, which this test start up in March. Before school started in September, I wrote both my daughter's school and my son's school, and I told them I am refusing to allow both Grace and Ben participate in the park testing, and with Ben it's still the Alt-MSA because park hasn't gotten around to creating for special education yet that particular test. So I'm under the assumption that Grace isn't going to test, and then I'm under the assumption that Ben's not going to test. And then they get a letter in the mail from Rock Creek School's principal, Mary Malone, telling me that they were not compelled to grant my refusal for Ben, that they were going to test him. So I called them up. And I said, Mary, I said, I'm not asking you. I'm not making a request. I am telling you, you are not allowed to test my child. Right. And so lawyers got involved, and my lawyer also sent a letter on, on the forms that come home. You know, you need to review what your child's goals and objectives are going to be for the test. Please sign the bottom of the form and send it back in. So I write on the form, no, my child is not allowed to participate in this test. And then they send another one home. And I write the same thing on there. No, my child's not allowed to participate in the test. He's not a trained monkey. And, you know, I had some snippy, snarky words on there because I was very frustrated at that point. (laughs) So I don't hear anything. So I'm assuming this entire time, based on the lawsuit and the fact that lawyers were involved and my lawyer told their lawyer that she has declined your settlement offer of five baseline questions, she is not letting her child participate in the test. So... On the 29th of January, my son comes home with a note in his backpack. It was a generic note, you know, Dear Rock Creek Families, um, we've been busy uh, performing the Alt-MSA test. It's time for you to come in on February the 18th. We've made you an appointment. Come in and review your child's test portfolio, sign off on it, and he's taken the test. And so I I thought, well, maybe it's just a mistake because it's, you know, generic, dear, you know, Rock Creek family doesn't say Mrs. Rose. But on the top of the paper, it is written, you know, Ben Rose and then White, the name of this teacher. And so I called, and it was at the end of the day around 4.30, and I was lucky enough that uh, Megan Little, the assistant principal there, answered the phone. And uh, she says, hi, Mrs. Rose, how are you? I'm like, well, I don't know, Megan, that depends on the answer to this question. I said, did you test my child? And she started to say, well, up on high, they said nothing. No, no, I I just want a yes or no answer to your question, or to this question. Did you test my child? Well, yes, we did. And then I was in a blind rage. I don't even remember what I said. Jamie can recall that part of the conversation, but I don't. I really, I was that mad. My voice was that loud. And if your floors rumbled, it was because I was that loud. I was so upset that they had violated my child's 
civil rights. They took him from his classroom and they forced him to take a test that I told them they could not give him. And to understand how horrible I think this is, my son doesn't speak. My son can't tell me, hey, mom, they gave me a test today. My son doesn't have a communication device. He's basically nonverbal, noncommunicative. He can uh, communicate his most basic needs. He can sign, eat, and he'll clap his hands together when he wants you to change the TV channel, and he can sign more. And that's pretty much it that the outside world would know. Now, right. me as his mom, I know some other things that he does, and I recognize those. So right. this is a child who can't communicate that someone has done something to him. So every day when he goes to Rock Creek School, we rely on that school to do the right thing by him. There's a special trust built between me and that school because of my son's disability is so severe. Well, they violated that. I told them they couldn't do something, and they did it. So now I need to know, how do I get that trust back? I can't trust these people now because the need to test is so important that they would break the bond between a parent and their school and their child. The trust is gone right. because they have to do this test. They need to mark that Cindy, box have, that says test taken. Yeah. Cindy, we have uh, just uh, about 30 seconds left, and I just want to give you an opportunity to give your final thought. My final thought is parents need to stand up and refuse the assessments. You do have a right to do it. We still have an ongoing case, although the judge dismissed with prejudice because he said we failed to exhaust all administrative remedies, which means we need to go back to the school. Dr. Alvin, who was reluctant to do it before, must tell us why she thinks the law that she's relying on gives her the right to say we have to take the test. And when she does that, then we have to go up the chain of command before we can bring it back to the courtroom if indeed it has to go that way, and I assume that it will, because these people want to test. That's what they're designed for is testing our students. And I, I'm asking parents to stand up. It's time for a little bit of um, civil disobedience. It's time to say no to the testing. We want our schools back. We want our teachers to teach. We don't want their days. The park test starts in March. They're practicing now. That's how much they want them to be able to do this test. They're starting to practice now, so education has been put aside now so that they can get all the things done correctly in order to perform well on this test. Parents need to stand up Cindy, and, you, and say no to things. Cindy, you're a warrior. You're on the front lines of this every day. And I I absolutely commend you for everything that you have done. You have, you have set this discussion in line for parents to follow in your direction, and you're right. It's time for us to take back control and to stand on the front lines and make a lot of noise and to stop yeah. this. Thank you so much for joining us, and I look Thanks, forward to you coming back and filling the, you know, filling this audience and more and more about your journey. And uh, I'm sure that we'll have many more conversations about what we I can pleasure. do to bring control back into our control for parents. Thanks, Cindy. Definitely. Thank you. All right. Take care. Cindy Rose an education activist in Frederick County. What a story that was. My goodness, I'm inspired. People like that, people like Cindy, they they are patriots and great people. Well, this brings us to the end of another episode of A Minor Detail. Tune in next week. Uh, we're going to be talking about the uh, Washington County Public Schools uh, new technology initiative with uh, giving every student a computer. And I have to tell you, I'm excited about next week's show. We're going to talk about the state of the county, and we're going to talk a little bit more about Governor Hogan's proposals. 
My name is Ryan Miner. This is another episode of A Minor Detail. Thank you all so very much for joining me.